0: We've been in a study of Psalm 19 most all summer long. During that time, Tina and I have been working our way through the Psalms as well. We started just at the end of May, and sometime this week we will wrap up that study. I've told you before that the Psalms are a difficult place for me to study in Scripture. At least they have been until just recently. Doesn't mean that I don't find great value in them and that I haven't found great teaching in them. I have. I've found great value in great teaching. It's just been a difficult place for me to study the Bible. But this time, as Tina and I have been making our way through it, it's been completely different. In fact, I would, I would say it's been one of the most inspiring times I've ever found in that particular book. And I've enjoyed it a great deal. I'm almost sad that it's going to be wrapping up this week. But one of the things that I could tell you I have discovered just this summer as I've been reading through the book can be summed up with a a simple expression, God sees us. That message rings true through almost the entire book of Psalms, God sees us. And that really is no surprise at all. There is a doctrinal term, a theological term attached to that. Not only does God see us, but God knows us. Doctrinally, theologically, we call that omniscience. God is all-knowing. That means everything about us. He knows us very personally. He knows every secret. And like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now we're going to be focusing on verse 14, so let's read it together one more time. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David understood the omniscience of God. As Aaron Armstrong would say, when we understand it, it should lead us to a place of humility. But for a lot of people, that's not the case They aren't led to a place of humility. They are led to an unsettled place. A place where they they almost find themselves afraid of the fact that God knows everything. He knows all of your secrets. He knows the things that you believe to be hidden in your life. God is aware of every word that you have ever said or going to say now or in the future. That's the omniscience of God. He is all-knowing. Doctrinally... We can listen to that and say, yes, I believe in that. Just as I believe in the omnipresence of God, that He is everywhere and He is all around us. No question about that. David wrote about it in the first part of Psalm 19. The omnipresence leads to the omniscience of God. Got no problem with it doctrinally until it becomes personal. When it becomes personal, it leaves us unsettled. It leaves us in a a place where we don't know what to do. We don't know how to conduct ourselves. In fact, we're almost afraid to do the things that we really want to do because we know God sees us and God is fully aware of everything that we are contemplating at any moment. It leaves us unsettled. But with David, it, it was different. David wasn't unsettled at all. As he recognized those things, as he lived within them, he was anything but unsettled. When you read Psalm 19, it appears that David was more settled in the moments that he wrote that Psalm than any other time in his life. He was settled within the omniscience of God, the all-knowing nature of God. And that's not the only place, Psalm 19 is not the only place where David wrote about these things. Let me show you another one. It's found in Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to start in verse 1. This is David talking about the real personal aspects of omniscience. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I really like David Jeremiah's teaching on this psalm. Take a look. According to this passage, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the status of your health, the temperature of your emotions, the level of your faith, the purity of your thoughts, the maturity of your soul, the hurts blighting your history, and the fears clouding your future. He knows what you're going to say tomorrow. He knows every word you'll speak and all the conversations you'll ever have in your entire life. He knows when you come and go, when you sit and stand, when you rise and fall. I really like the way he sums that up. And again, that can leave people very unsettled, but it didn't leave David that way. Not at all. David would actually make statements like this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. The experts in the original languages would say this of David's use of that word search. The Hebrew term originally meant to explore. And conveyed the idea of of digging into or digging through something. So in essence, David is saying, you know me so well, Lord, that you have been digging into my life. You have been digging through my life. You have found everything. You know everything. There is nothing. There is nothing hidden from you. David is able to say that in the, the boldest of ways. He's able to say that with great confidence and no fear. He is settled. He is settled in the omniscience of God, the all-knowing nature of God. It's interesting in Psalm 139, as he goes through that, he talks about God knowing when he sits and when he stands. Almost as if he is saying the most common and ordinary aspects of his life, God is fully familiar with. He knows everything. And David is okay with it. And we all should be. Led to a place of humility, we should be 100% okay with the omniscience of God. And in fact, we should allow that to be something that works within us, to change us to transform us, to make us into a new person. David, in his understanding of that, in Psalm 19, would actually offer a prayer before the Lord within the omniscience of God that was really personal, really practical, and has some parts to it that most of us would run from. Take a look at this again in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do you catch what he is asking of God? God, I already know that you're fully aware of the things that I'm going to say, so I want you to help me deal with those things, to make the words of my mouth acceptable to you. He goes even further to say, let the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. Well, he's praying about some very, very personal things. Why don't we break those down real quick together just so we can look at at what David is really saying. This idea of asking God to transform the words of our mouth is pretty commonplace in scripture. It shows up in different places, but it shows up in ways that maybe you're not aware of. One of the most pointed teachings that we ever find in all of the Bible about controlling our mouth is found in the book of James. Jesus's half-brother writes these words. This is James chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Just listen to this. You don't even have to turn there. Just listen. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now that is, that's very practical teaching on the issue of our mouth, our tongue, the words that we would speak. But I'll be honest with you and tell you, it, it sounds a bit bible So as we read that, we read it in such a way that we think, yep, the Bible has something to say about it, but I'm not exactly positive what that is. So we move right on past it because it just sounds too biblical, too bible to us. Well, there are some other places in Scripture that get to the heart of the matter, they remove the Bible-sounded terminology and just make it really easy for us to understand. Let me show you one. It's found in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. This is found in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, and this is from the English Standard Version, which is the version of the Bible I was just reading from, the ESV. Now listen to how Solomon writes this in the English Standard Version. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, that's just good wisdom. It really is. But again, sounds kind of bible So let's look at some other translations that maybe help us understand it better. First one's found in the King James Version. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Again, real biblical sounding. Listen to the New Living Translation. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. I really like the message. Watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. See what the Bible has to say about this issue of making our words acceptable to God? In the process, we save ourselves all kinds of grief. We save ourselves all kinds of trouble. To offer prayers like what David is offering and to understand them in light of the omniscience of God, the all-knowing nature of God, what we're really saying is, Lord, I know the trouble my mouth can get me into. Would you please do something about it? And God does. He really does. This is something I became acutely aware of by the time I was 17, 18 years old. I was fully aware of the trouble my mouth could get me into. And I was fully aware of how I could use words to hurt other people. So in my awareness of that, I had to ask God to do something about it. It took about 10 years before I really felt like God was answering my prayer because my my mouth continued to get me in trouble and continued to hurt people with it. But then it's almost like a, a switch was flipped and God said, okay, now Phil, you're listening to me and I'm going to start working on this. And I still struggle with it like everybody else does. It's an ongoing process. But I have asked God not to let me say the first things that are on the end of my tongue. I've asked God not to let me just spew out the first thing that comes to mind. Anybody else ever been in a situation where you just do that? No, please don't let me be the only person with my hand up. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in that. We can get ourselves in serious trouble. But then I started to experience what I can only describe as God doing this. God saying, he's my child. I'm not going to let him say that. And so God started putting his hand over my mouth. And some of you have experienced the same thing. Some of the rest of you need to. <clears throat> Amen. When God does that for us, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. There are other places in Scripture that show us prayers that lead to that safe type of understanding. Take a look at this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. David writes those words too. Psalm 141. See how this seems to be an ongoing process? It's not a prayer that we offer one time and then it's just taken care of. It's an ongoing process process it is an ongoing prayer God could have sanctified all kinds of different things in my life and not needed to sanctify my mouth but in his wisdom and in his sovereignty God said Phil we're going to work on this issue with your mouth the same way he's had to work on it with you The same way he's had to work on it with all of us. So in Psalm 19, when David says, let the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, David was making the omniscience of God so personal and so practical that it touches nearly, if not, all of us. And the Bible would speak of it in other places as well. So we have to pay attention to that type of teaching and long for it. David did. David did. That's why he could say what he did in Psalm chapter 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Be acceptable to you. That's a prayer. Did you catch the fact that David didn't just talk about the words of his mouth? He talked about what sits behind those words. The meditation of his heart. Now, very simply, the meditations of your heart are the things that you think about. They're the things that you think about, the things that I think about. And then when they take root in our heart, they begin to become the expression of our words or our actions. And so David says, It isn't just my words, my mouth that I want you to transform, Lord. I want you to dig even deeper than that because I already know you know what's there. I want you to go deeper than that and help transform the meditations of my heart. The things, the very things that I think about. Boy, that can be difficult for a lot of us. It really can. There are some different places in Scripture that help us understand that, and you need to know that God knows the things that you're thinking about. He really does. This is found in Psalm 94. Take a look. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Folks, listen to me. God knows your thoughts. The things that you're thinking about, God is fully aware of them. That is the omniscience of God. You're not hiding them from Him. You cannot run carrying those with you believing that God will not know them. He knows them. And He knows that they are just a breath and they are going to be fleeting and they're going to disappear. But He knows what happens if they take root too. They control your words. Those thoughts control your actions. And so we find other places in Scripture that help us understand how to get a guard on the thoughts, the meditations of our heart. The Apostle Paul actually has some very practical teaching about it. Here it is. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here's the way I would describe that. This is Paul teaching us to put gates in our mind, in our heart, in our lives that we can close. We can purposefully close them and keep out the things that we want to keep out and keep in the things that we want to keep in. So when your mind starts to travel down a disastrous path and you know that it is boiling up inside of you and it's going to come out of your mouth or it's going to come out in your actions, you start praying the exact prayer that David prayed in Psalm 19. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. And then you start closing gates by thinking about whatever is true and honorable and just and pure. And lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. And when you close the gate to keep out the thoughts that you know are contrary to that, then these thoughts you get to hold captive. And they start to change you, they start to change the way you think, the way you talk, and the way you act. So that those become acceptable to the Lord. It's ultimate transformation. It's ultimate transformation. You might say, man, preacher, that sounds good. And David, he was man after God's own heart and he could pull that off. But I don't have the starch in me to do it. I've tried to control my mouth forever and I can't do it. I've tried to change the way I think and I can't do it. Those same thoughts keep coming back in. Well, here's great revelation. On your own, you can't. On your own, you can't. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have Jesus living in your heart, which means He's on your side. He is on your side. And with the power of Jesus, you have the ability just like David is talking about to see the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart. You have the ability and the power to see those change because you have Jesus with you. That's a really cool thing. That is a really cool thing. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The gates are closed. The old is gone. The new has come. And that happens through Jesus. That happens through him living within us. And David, David gives us just a glimpse of that. If you have been, God forbid, looking at social media on your phone, stop. If you've been thinking about going fishing this afternoon because it's going to be a nice day, well, you go fishing, and and man, I hope God gives you a great catch, but stop thinking about it right now. If you're thinking about lunch, stop. It'll be waiting for you. Listen to me on this. David gives us a glimpse of how he could offer this prayer in Psalm 19. It's found in the closing words of that psalm. Take a look with me again. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One more time, in Psalm 19, David gives us a messianic look. I believe he's talking about Jesus. And here's why I believe that. Because he uses two terms, rock and redeemer. Through our entire study of this, we've had these words right up above where I'm standing now, my rock and my redeemer. Throughout scripture, rock is an illustration used to describe Jesus from Old Testament to new. It is a rock that God would use to describe his son. Moses would learn that very practically. You can study that in the Old Testament Jesus would actually pass on the great confession of who Jesus is to Peter in the terminology of a rock. Blessed are you, Peter, for you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, he says in Matthew chapter 16, because Peter had declared Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so everyone else that does that becomes a part of that rock, that confession of who Jesus is. And so now, all the way back in the book of Psalms, long before Jesus was ever born, David gives us a look into who he is. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One of the most pointed places in all of the Bible that talks about Jesus as a rock could be a bit disconcerting if we're not careful. Why don't you join me in the Gospel of Matthew? Stay with me through this. Really dial in tight. Jesus is sharing a parable with the Pharisees. It's called the Parable of the Tenets. This is in Matthew 21, Parable of the Tenets. Keep turning as I'm talking so that you can see it for yourself. In it, he talks about the fact that God sent, in essence, the law and the prophets to the Jewish people, and they not only rejected the law and the prophets, they beat them up and cast them out. They didn't pay attention. And then he goes on to say he'll send his son. That's Jesus. And the Jewish people and the Pharisees would beat him up and they would cast him out. They would cast him out. But then Jesus says this, verse 42. Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. That's taken away from the Jewish people and given to the Gentiles. That's us. That's how we have the opportunity to come into Christ. We get to live in the promise of verse 43, but then listen to verse 44. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him when we come before jesus the stone the cornerstone the rock we have two options there are two options listen listen there are two options you can fall on the stone and according to jesus when you do you'll be broken into pieces but listen then you'll be put back together by him And when you are put back together by Jesus, you are better than you have ever imagined. When Jesus puts you back together, you are a new creation. When you fall on Jesus, you are broken to pieces and He rebuilds you. That's what it means to call Him our Redeemer. He redeems all the brokenness and makes it new. He is our rock and our Redeemer. So to fall on Christ says, I am willing to be broken and rebuilt. I am willing to be broken and redeemed. I long to be broken and redeemed. And to fall on Jesus brings that about. But if we do not fall on Jesus, listen to me, if we do not fall on Jesus, pay close attention, He will fall on us. Did you catch that in Matthew 21? And when He falls on you, you are crushed. You are crushed. That's why it is so important for us to fall on Him and then to experience redemption. Want to know what that looks like? Oh man, I'm glad you do. Let's go to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's what it looks like to be redeemed. David says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, he fell on him and was redeemed. But for those that don't, for those that don't, they are crushed. Want to, know, want to know how to be redeemed? Want to know how to fall on the Lord in such a way that, that your words and the meditations of your heart can be transformed? Well, it's found in Psalm 19. Think about these things. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the rules of the Lord. They'll lead you deep into a relationship with God, a transforming, redeeming relationship with the Lord. Oh, think about those things, and you can't miss Him. Think about those things, and you'll long to know Him better and better as you are known by Him, the omniscience of God. He wants you to know Him fully as well, just as you are fully known by Him. Man, jump in that journey. You will never regret it. You will never regret it. The book of Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells us the time is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I am convinced that there are two reactions in that. There is a large number of knees that will bow and tongues that will confess Jesus Christ is Lord unto rejoicing those are the folks who fell on Christ, were broken and rebuilt by him. And then there's a second reaction. Knees that will bow and tongues that will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord unto great regret because Jesus fell on them. It was too late for them to repent. So accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and then get started in a journey that will change everything about you. God already knows all of it. You cannot run from him trying to hide those things, so why not run to him and just let him have them? And God will rebuild it and redeem it and make you new and whole. He will make you into exactly who you were created to be. Let him do it. Why not you stand? We'll pray together. Father in heaven, I'm grateful for David's teaching. You inspired it, Lord. He just wrote it down as he lived it. Thank you for that. I'm grateful for passages like Psalm 19 and Psalm 33 and Psalm 139 and on and on and on the list goes. Places that show us how David continued to understand more and more of who you are. Help us do the same. Lord, today I know that that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that have fallen on you. The testimony of their life is how you have rebuilt them and redeemed them and called them by name. And they are experiencing all of your goodness right here in the land of the living. Thank you for that. But Father, I know that we have others with us that, that need to experience that. So I pray they will today. And I pray the journey will start now and stay with them forever. We ask that in Jesus' name, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.